Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that takes a broad look at how cars and transport impact our community. I'm David Brown and in this program we take a look at some of the latest news stories including BMW launches their car data unit. Mercedes-Benz is not a member of the Australian Electric Vehicle Association just yet, but they are going hammer and tongs on electric car development. And they have some advice to the federal government for free. We talked to their David McCarthy. We road test the pocket rocket, the Ford Focus RS, and in our panel discussion with Alan Zervis, we take a merry look at stories including Toyota is hoping that the 2020 Olympic torch will be lit from its flying car. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. Now, to begin the program... Let's have the news. The average vehicle sold in Australia is getting better at reducing the amount of pollution they create relative to the energy that they are producing. But fewer Australians are choosing low-emission cars, according to a report released by the National Transport Commission. Every year since 2002, the average emission intensity figures have fallen. However, this year's result is the equal smallest drop on record. This is partly because of changing consumer preferences and buying patterns. With over 32,000 more SUVs and 15,000 more utes sold last year when compared to 2015. If all Australians who purchased a new car last year had bought the most efficient car available, then the national average CO2 emission intensity figure would have dropped to 75 grams per kilometre, a reduction of 59%. Having been behind last year's sales for the first four months of the year, new vehicle purchases in Australia have shown some encouraging results in May. Compared to last year's sales, May 2017 volumes are up 6.4%, although in year-to-date terms we are still nearly 1% behind. Toyota had a strong month, but third-placed Hyundai and fourth-placed Holden are down around 7-8%. Hyundai's decline was strongly influenced by poor sales figures with the i30, even though they have recently launched an all-new model which is getting good reviews. Ninth-placed Kia and twelfth-placed Honda had a booming month. Utes are all the rage. For the month, the Ford Ranger 4x4 is the number one selling vehicle and the Toyota Hilux 4x4 is third. Despite getting only a two-star rating in ANCAP crash tests, the Ford Mustang sales for the month are up over fourfold. The Mustang sold more vehicles than the total sales for many companies, including Land Rover, Renault, Lexus, Jeep, Volvo, Peugeot and Fiat. BMW has advised that it is enhancing the way it captures and uses the data it can collect from your vehicle. BMW Car Data enables customised serviced options for owners such as individualised insurance premiums based, for example, on actual distance travelled, or faster service appointments because the necessary part has been ordered in advance. In the future, there will be personalised infotainment options. Just who gets your data and how it is used is a sensitive point. BMW specifically allows customers to decide what happens with their data. Service providers such as garages, insurance companies and fleet managers can register with BMW car data. 
If customers want to use a specific service and actively consent to the release of their telematics data, the requesting companies receive the data they need for the service in encrypted form. BMW would argue that, of course, the safest way to ensure the security of your data is always to go to a BMW service area. There are a lot of theories about what it will be like to have a world of all autonomous cars, but the changeover period is a critical issue. And this is not just the case of some vehicles being autonomous while others are not. What happens when drivers switch from one vehicle to another? The UK's Ventura Autonomous Vehicle Project has conducted trials at Bristol's Robotics Laboratory and on roads at the University of West of England campus. The trials set out to investigate two scenarios when switching frequently between automated and manual driving modes within urban and extra-urban settings takeover, the time taken to re-engage with vehicles controls, and handover, the time taken to regain a baseline normal level of driving behaviour and performance. A key finding was that it took two to three seconds for participants to take over manual controls and resume active driving after short periods of autonomous driving in urban environments. Participants also drove more slowly than the recommended speed limit for up to 55 seconds following a handover request. Toyota has committed $47 million for a new program that will expand research into safety challenges and opportunities related to autonomous and connected vehicles. The new investment in the company's Collaborative Safety Research Centre in the United States will further cooperation with leading academic, health and research organisations. Areas where developments can occur include the potential integration of active and passive safety systems and improving mobility by studying how to detect the driver's personal condition using psychology and health metrics. Previous programs have yielded important advances in safety technology, including systems that can predict and detect serious illness in drivers such as heart attacks and monitor the performance of drivers with insulin-dependent diabetes. And that has been the news. Fully electric cars have not taken off in Australia yet. We recently reported that the federal government gave a small amount for further research on electric vehicles, while London is giving millions to actually build some more charging stations. The Electric Vehicle Association has kicked off in Australia with a number of car companies and other stakeholders. As yet, Mercedes is not a member, but they are working in many areas on interaction to promote electric vehicles. David McCarthy is Mercedes-Benz Senior Manager, Public Relations, Product and Corporate in Australia. So, David, electric cars, is Mercedes-Benz pushing that development? Is that important to them? Absolutely. EQ is the brand that we'll be using. We expect the first of those cars to be in Australia in 2019, so it's well underway. EQ is establishing like a new brand or a new subset, obviously, of your brand. Is that important because it's so different? I think so. As we've seen with AMG and with Mercedes Maybach, you need to separate those different vehicle types out. Uh, People identify more readily with that. Do you think that you will push towards full electric or a hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, or a bit of each? And if so, which do you think will come out in the long term? 
look, we have plug-in hybrids. We have mild hybrids that are non-plug-in, and we will have full electric. Ultimately, the market will decide. Plug-ins are a very good stepping stone for people to experience electric driving. It resolves a lot of that issue about range anxiety. We expect that the EQ we introduced to Australia will have a range of 400 kilometres or more. So hopefully that will address a lot of that. What, on purely an electric car? Purely electric, yeah. That's a significant step, isn't it? I think also doing plug-ins allows people to get used to the fact that they can go a reasonable distance on an electric power alone and so just have that little bit more confidence. Absolutely. As you know, David, it's actually quite addictive. <laughs> driving on electric only. Well, it's nice and quiet. The instant torque, the quietness has a lot to recommend it. And of course, if you're recharging the car with renewable energy, and we hope to introduce the storage batteries for domestic and industri- industrial use well before EQ gets here in 2019, then you know you could actually be charging the car at home uh, via solar. There's a new organisation out, and uh, yes, you're right, it does make you feel good, I think, if you're doing the environment, particularly for local pollution, because you can get caught up in a debate about global warming, but the fact remains that at the local level, we have a huge amount of pollution. The key, though, is where the electricity comes from that you're using to recharge it. There's not a lot of point in having the exhaust pipe in the Latrobe Valley. <laughs> and that's why we will be partnering with an energy company that will, and, part, and, and that will be, there'll be renewable energy and you'll have the ability to have solar installed on your house and the storage batteries. So at the end of the day, it's, it's, if you're going to go electric, well, it does need to truly be emission-free. Is that a case then where you will help facilitate your customer in a broader sense to be able to say we have a a link to a company that will give you a package to put in solar power. Absolutely. And we'll also be exploring the industrial application of that, as you've seen in a number of states are well advanced on it. That industrial battery storage where the, where the, the storage is, is powered up by renewable energy or, you know, whether that's wind, whether it's solar, whatever, and that is then drawn down from the batteries, we're going to see a lot more of that, not just in a domestic sense, but in an industrial sense as well. Is that important for Mercedes to be seen not just as a car company, but as a facilitator of good community activity? I guess I can understand what your answer to that would be. But that's also a point of having a much fuller relationship with your customer? Absolutely. And as a a company that, that makes passenger cars... SUVs, vans and trucks. This technology will spread throughout our entire vehicle range. We've been making vehicles for 130 years. We want to keep making them. And electric vehicles are going to be increasingly a part you know, of our future. And ultimately, who knows whether they will actually replace internal combustion engines. But if you generate the electricity in a way that doesn't pollute and you can store the energy and use that to drive your vehicle you truly become a total mobility company, and and, and that is our aim. Well, David, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. David McCarthy is Mercedes-Benz Senior Manager, Public Relations, Product and Corporate in Australia. You're listening to Overdrive.
So far this year, 52% of Ford's total sales in Australia are Ranger Utes. Their next best-selling car is a Ford Mustang. These two cars account for over 63% of all their sales. We have said it often in the last few years, but Ford just doesn't seem to be able to sell little cars well. And the Ford Focus is a good little car. And the Ford Focus RS is a mind-blowing halo car for the model with a turbo engine, all-wheel drive and super sharp handling. Alan Zervis, the RS, you particularly like the all-wheel drive, not just because of the grip, but what did it do for you? Well, it, it did, as you say, it did grip, but it's when you went around the corners, it made your face peel off just about. It was just ferocious. And the power is the power of a V8 in a small family hatch. I think it's just extraordinary. And, of course, it didn't have any or any significant torque steer that you often get from a very hot hatch but front-wheel drive. Well, you'll remember driving the Focus ST, which is its slightly less nimble brother. Uh, nothing wrong with the ST. It's just that its uh, steering is a little bit psychotic under hard acceleration. And uh, the, the torque steer, they try to correct with electronics and frankly it doesn't work very well uh, but it is still a pleasure to drive the rs gets rid of all of that and it is just a peach it is an absolute peach do you like the look of it i do i mean it's been around for a while now you know it's in its um in its uh sunset you know there's there's uh not that long till the focus is due for replacement uh, but I think this is a fitting tribute to it. And, of course, it will carry on into the new model. They'll bring an RS out in that, no doubt. I think its nose is slightly long. It's a little bit different, is it, to the base model focus? It is. It's also the, the thing that I like about it is that it's different to the old model. So the old model pre-facelift focus, the bonnet looked like it was half open. So every single time you walk past it after you'd locked it, and walk past the front of the car, you'd put your hand on the bonnet to make sure it was, it was closed. Um, so the, the new RS, of course, has uh, a, a particular front. It's got a different bumper, a different splitter, and it just looks a little bit more aggressive. And, of course, it's got the RS badge on the front. One of our colleagues described the nose as something that would make an aardvark blush. He thought that it was rather protruding. I don't think it's that strong, but it's certainly a common trend, really, of sort of longer noses generally and, and almost pouting around the uh, grill area. So, so the extreme example of that, of course, is Maserati, but this is also prominent in a couple of other cars. Well, I think Maseratis are a bit sad. It, it's, it's just another one of those car brands that's been kind of bastardised by the fact that it's owned by somebody else that isn't very good at manufacturing cars. Simon Lai from Behind the Wheel, and I have each driven this pocket rocket, and Simon joins me on the line now. Simon, heaps of power in this little thing, isn't there? No, you're right there. It is extraordinary. I've never driven anything like it. I mean, I, I love hot hatches, but this one is miles above a lot of the other rivals. It is, isn't it? I mean, if you have a look at the Subaru STI, you know, when I was a bit younger, these uh, bang-for-your-buck Evos from Mitsubishi and the Subaru WRX yeah. had, you know, around the 200. Now the STI Hot one has 221. This other thing has 257. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. I mean, if you compare it with other uh, cars, like, say, a Golf R, 
that's uh, topping out at 206 and 380 newton meters. But this does 440 newton meters, which is just mind blowing. And in fact, the GTI Golf, which is not their top range, and and it's not comparing apples with apples in one sense, but it gives you a comparison. What 162 mm. kilowatts? So yeah, and that's a great car too. Yes. They do remarkably well. This one has uh, all-wheel drive. Do you find that that helps get the power to the ground? Oh, yeah, definitely. Of course, when you distribute the torque a bit more evenly on the wheels, there's definitely um, a lot more power there. And it's amazing what they get out of a 2.3-litre turbo engine. You know, turbo engines are are just amazing nowadays. Um, I I found that um, the, the drive overall was fantastic. It's really built for performance and for the track the handling, it just really sticks to them so well. And that's Simon Lai from uh, Behind the Wheel, the uh, motoring website, which uh, we have an association with, and they do some uh, very, very good reviews. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, it's the end of the program, and as always, we will talk some quirky news. But this time, due to some uh, difficulties with Errol, he was trialling a drone and it got out of hand. I'll say no more other than he ended up in the emergency ward. Not serious, but certainly enough uh, of a cut to get uh, and need some major repairs. Uh, So instead of uh, Errol or Brian talking quirky news, I have on the line our good friend Alan Zervis. Alan, uh, wonderful to talk to you. Let's talk about this Toyota story. They want to have a flying car to light the cauldron at the 2020 Olympics. Do you think that has potential? Well, I do. I mean, we won't want Errol doing it single-handed if you get me drift. <laughs> no, I think that's a. I think it's a an interesting idea. We'll want it to work better than the last cauldron that we saw lit that got stuck halfway up the waterfall. <laughs> Can you imagine the the car getting stuck half? Halfway up to the halfway up to the cauldron. I'd prefer to do it like the Dukes of Hazard, a two-door sports car that does a barrel roll over the top, and he throws a lighted thing out of it in that sort of bogan, uh, rebellious sort of tone. I think that's the way I would prefer to do motoring. There is a touch of bogan in all of us, and I think all of those kind of. Uh, a uh, really daring thing is kind of get to us in the end. How are you actually going to light it? It's not a flying car in a way. It's really a big drone that carries a person that they put dinky little wheels on the bottom. It's a bit, a little bit like how I used to build a billy cart. You know, you go down to the hardware store and buy some rather cheap wheels. It's a little bit of a stretch to talk about it as though flying cars are going to be here tomorrow. It's a little bit like a Toyota, isn't it? Aren't they built from Bunnings bits? <laughs> oh, dear. It could be a Camry. <laughs> I tell you what, you know, it's, it, the, 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 they'll take him over the top and he'll have a cigarette, dump the fag down. That's what I reckon he'll do. <sighs> right, yeah. You know, because there's a touch of bogan in him. The trouble is, Alan, that you then hover over the top of it and light it. Surely there, you know, nothing could possibly go wrong. Could not the flames go up? So the message will yeah, be... barbecued human. <laughs> the message would be, don't throw your cigarette out the window. I, look, I think there's a great possibility here. Well, it works for me. I mean, it took me ages to give up smoking, so I'm all for it. It's not nearly as good to throw out a vapour device. No, that's quite right. 
they just have a bit of sort Quite of right. looks like smoke come out from it. The the plan apparently the Cartivator is a, a resource management company that's building this, and they are going over the top about how they by 2050 they will have and they claim on their website that we will be in a place where we quote realize a world where everyone can fly in the sky anytime and anywhere this is just absolute nonsense this is the nonsense we're getting with autonomous cars as though the whole world's going to be beautiful and we'll be able to travel anywhere anytime it's not going to work there's just not that much capacity wouldn't it be lovely if there was though wouldn't it be lovely just to get into a car and and be able to go to your appointment in town and all you do is just sit there and have a glass of champers while it's sorting out the intersections i think that'd be wonderful don't you well, the only trouble is it's dangerous in a two-dimensional world as we drive around roads. When you add a third dimension to it, you are going to have to have some fairly sophisticated autonomous systems because I tell you, drivers are not going to be the way to do it. Well, you've seen me drive. I don't think you want to see me fly. The Olympic motto is, of course, Sitius Altius Fortius, which is faster, higher, stronger. This is everything that's wrong with the current car industry. We don't need powerfuler cars that are stronger like big SUVs and now higher that are are flying in the air isn't this all the dangers come together well that's right I mean I can just imagine one of those flying whatever they are or a drone for that matter I mean if it can take off poor old Errol's hand at the (laughs) at the wrist imagine what it could do flying into an apartment block with a bomb attached to it oh look there's a whole whole range of things you know actually drones are being used quite a lot in delivering things to jails I did know that. I did know that. Well, if um, I think it's Amazon is, is uh, doing drone testing drone deliveries. Yes, of course. Not to jail, obviously, but, you know, to private premises. Oh, they do it to jail anyway, as long as you pay. And, you know, they've got enough credit cards there, haven't they? Well, they use their phone cards for credit cards, I think. I think that's what it is. <laughs> well, the flying car, we've heard about it for years. Uh, the, the big issue is that I think we'll ultimately need corridor space in the sky. Uh, the Jetsons had it. They went along corridors. They got stuck in traffic jams. They had little things that polluted. They had stop signs and police that pulled you over. I think we might need to do it. Otherwise, it'll just end up like a swarm of bees going in all directions. Well, just imagine how cluttered the skies would look. You know, you look up now and see the odd jet go across and the tinfoil hatters with their, uh, what do they call those, the, the jet streams? Vapour trails. Yes. Uh, they call them uh, chemtrails. Yes. Can you just imagine them looking up and seeing two million flying automobiles? Yes, indeed. Good luck to Toyota. May the Tokyo 2020 Olympics be the epitome of all that we can achieve but preferably not on steroids. And talking about on steroids, the Dodge. In 2014, they had the 707 horsepower, 527 kilowatt Hellcat. It was that two-door, again, the Dukes of Hatters. Seems to be a common element in our discussions, Alan. They had that, but now they've got a Hellcat on steroids. It's the Dodge Challenger SRT Demon. Fiat Chrysler Automobiles have put it out. And it has 840 horsepower, 626 kilowatts. Alan, does it appeal to you? Yeah, it does. (laughs) It certainly does. But having said that, look, in the last few weeks, you and I have driven some cars with uh, well over 400 kilowatts. And, uh, you know, what do you do with them? I mean, you you get to 100 kilometres an hour or 110 kilometres an hour if you're in that particular section of highway, then you've got to lift your foot off the the, uh, accelerator or throw your licence away. We hopped into the last of the big V8 
Aussie bangers, the HSV GTSR Commodore. They don't call it a Commodore, as you will point out. Uh, what was that, 435 kilowatts of power? And interestingly enough, David, that car was $109,000 uh, plus on roads. And this Dodge Demon converted to Australian dollars is about the same price. Yes, I think by the time they get it into Australia, it'd be dearer. But yes, $85,000 American, 112 as you say. Uh, but the thing about it is, oh, I was going to just say about the HSV, I did do some filming and we were at the traffic lights, one car back from the stop line, the lights went green and the car ahead of us, a Toyota Avalon, went off at a speed you would expect. And so we somewhat failed to use our 435 kilowatts. Yeah, well, I'm, in a, I'm not surprised. And the only time you're going to use that is on a racetrack. Let's face it, you yeah. cannot use it on a public road. So you're drinking all that petrol for absolutely no reason unless you shut down half the cylinders. Talking about performance, uh, this Dodge Demon can do uh, standing quarter miles, about 400 metres, in under 10 seconds, and it will do the 0-60 time in 2.3 seconds. Uh, 60 miles an hour, that's 0-100 kilometres an hour. That is moving. Good Lord. Well, a Veyron does that, but it's worth, what, 1.2 million or something. I'm not quite sure I really want to move that fast, to be honest, because it's not the going fast, it's the stopping at the other end that I worry about. Well, that reminds me of that great muscle car era. Wasn't that a great time in motoring? I, I've read more about it in history than I was old enough. It started around the mid-60s and went to the early 70s. That was the first, the, well, the first car in May 1965 was, of course, the Pontiac GTO, that it had 376 horsepower from a 421 cubic inch which was the most uh, powerful thing. Well, here's something that's got more than twice that. And in fact, the new Demon on the drag strip can actually get the front wheels in the air. I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm really not surprised. And interestingly about that first car, you think that you can get that same power now out of a four-cylinder car. Yeah, good point. You know, that, um, that Ford Focus that we drove, would be, that would be about in the ballpark of the same, uh, same power. Uh, yes, two, that's 257 kilowatts to horsepower i will do the conversion and it's about 344 there you go there you go good guess good guess so but that dodge uh the the demon really appeals to me i love the look i love that retro look a few car companies have tried it but very 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 few have succeeded and that was Alan Zervis from Gay Cowboys and Total Auto, a new website that brings together a range of people from various organisations and approaches. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to David McCarthy, Alan Zervis, David Campbell and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast the whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.